Well, we are drawing near to the end of the book of Isaiah. And uh, since we're only about four weeks away from the end of the book, I don't mind telling you now uh, that I did approach this study with a bit of fear and trepidation. I was reminded why I had some fear and trepidation. Last week when Erwin Lutzer was here and we were sort of, I was kind of uh, getting him out here and getting him all set and everything. And as we walked up from my office, he said, why do I keep seeing advertisements for, the, for Isaiah all over the place? Because we had just kind of screenshots of what, the, what you have on your worship folder. And I said, oh, it's because we're spending a year uh, preaching through the book of Isaiah. And he said, whoa, that's a tough book. And I was reminded it is a hard book. It's a difficult book. And that, that was where the fear and the trepidation came from. I also am reminded of what John Calvin once said about the book of Isaiah that uh, our, your best bet the first time through is you're lucky if you can understand one out of every 10 words in the book of Isaiah. But the Lord led us on this journey, and here we are right near the end, and I want to testify that God is absolutely faithful and that his word does not return void, and that he has been at work in and through this amazing book. I was asked this week by a friend, what have I learned out of the book of Isaiah? And there's a lot. Um, But the thing that probably most hit home was Isaiah 55, in which God said, my word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. It's going to bear fruit. And here we are, however many uh, months later from the beginning of the book of Isaiah, and I look around, I see a church for whom many of you are continuing on the reading plan, even though like in our family, we got to some chapters and we got done reading and everyone just looked at me with a blank face and I looked back at them in a blank face and I was like, well, we did the reading. Like, I know many of you have done that. A lot of you have studied Isaiah in women's Bible study and men's Bible study. Uh, Most of you have just come faithfully week after week and have dived in and listened to God's word and it is bearing fruit. And I praise the Lord. It's an amazing book with an amazing vision of who God is with powerful words. And the ones you don't understand, I just look at and go, I don't understand those. But the ones I do understand are incredible. And they're amazing. Well, we get to the end of Isaiah. And Isaiah ends his magnificent book with a magnificent vision of the future. Not just his future, because some of the stuff that is his future is our past, but the vision he ends his book with is his future and our future as well. And so what we have the chance to do is to cap off this amazing, magnificent vision of God in Isaiah with an amazing vision of the future that's coming. Now, the way we're going to handle this is, is we're going to be covering Isaiah 60 to 66, which are the last chapters in the book, but we're going to do it a little differently. We have been just sort of walking through chapter by chapter and kind of looking at what God has to say chapter by chapter, but Isaiah 60 to 66 is really sort of one picture of the future, and instead of going through chapter by chapter, what we're gonna do is do four themes that come out of Isaiah 60 to 66 that help us to understand the future, and that's because Isaiah 60 to 66 can be extra confusing, and we want to use some other passages of scripture to help us understand and grasp some of the beauty 
of what Isaiah is saying. Let me begin by saying, do you remember this video or this picture I showed you near the beginning of the book of Isaiah of traffic cones? Some of you were here for that. If you weren't, uh, or if you were, let me just re-explain it to you. There's actually two traffic cones up there, uh, but viewed from sort of straight on, they kind of look like one. This is how prophecy in the Old Testament especially can work. In the book of Isaiah, he's talking about the future, and he talks about it as sort of one thing, as if he's viewing the future from this direction and paints one picture in which, from this angle, it looks like, well, you got one traffic cone. Okay, run the video. You will see with a different perspective that there's actually two traffic cones that are there. And what we want to do this morning is take Isaiah's kind of one picture of the future and bring a different perspective to it to help understand some of what he's saying. And let me lay out for you what we're going to see. The first traffic cone is the return of Jesus. When we talk about what is future for us, we are waiting for Jesus to come back to this earth. The second cone that Isaiah talks about, both of these, but he sort of merges them so they look like one. The second cone is what we know of as the eternal state. This is what classically we think of when we think of heaven or eternity or those sorts of things. We call it the eternal state. When Isaiah pictures as sort of one event, meaning he doesn't sort of differentiate between the two, we're going to find are actually separate things. And in between Jesus' second coming and the entrance into eternity is what we call the millennial kingdom. And I'm going to explain that to you as we go through this. Now, I should say up front, lots of godly, Holy Spirit-filled Christians don't really talk about the future this way or think about it differently. But this is what our church believes. It's what I believe. And it's what I think makes the most sense of what the scriptures teach. And so that's what we're going to work through this morning. Everybody with me? All right. If you're not, you don't have a choice. We still have to come along. (laughs) So let me invite you at this point to take a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in the rack in front of you. And in the Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 60. It's page 607. Page 607 in the church Bibles. And what we're going to do is we're going to start by focusing on what Isaiah has to say about the second cone, the furthest cone, the eternal state. This is the farthest back that we can go, the farthest forward we can go in prophetic words about the future. That's what we're going to begin with. Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow 
will end. Isaiah's prophesying a time in the future in which there is no more sun or moon, in which God himself is the light of his people, literally the light of his people. There will be no more sorrow. He has in mind here that eternal state. Again, if you just read through Isaiah 60 to 66 straight through, you might get confused. And so what we're going to do is try to lay out certain verses are referring to certain cones. This one is about that future cone, that eternal state. Turn over to Isaiah 65. Look in verse 17. God says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Also a prophecy about the eternal state, about eternity, about heaven, in which God's saying, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. This earth and the heavens that exist now will not exist. God will create a new heavens and a new earth, a time in which he will be the light, there'll be no sun or moon, God himself will be the light, and there will be no more sorrow or difficulty, the former things will be forgotten. All right, what I'd like you to do is keep your place in Isaiah 65 and turn to the very last page of the Bible, last pages of the Bible, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. It's page... 1,004, but it's pretty easy to find. It's the last pages. We're going to start in Revelation 21. So remember, Isaiah paints this all as one picture, but we have John, who wrote the book of Revelation, that will help give us a different perspective to see how it all fits together. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Where is that quoted from? Isaiah 65, we just read it. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Look over at chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp 
or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you hear the words of Isaiah 60 to 65 in these passages? The idea that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The idea that the city of Jerusalem will be recreated anew and it will be a blessing and a delight. That there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. The old things, the bad things are passed away. That there'll be no sun or moon. God himself will provide the light. This is speaking about the eternal state. This is heaven. When we think about eternity, the last chapters of the Bible describe for us something of what this will look like. And Isaiah has some of that in his prophetic vision of the future. This is the ultimate hope for saved humanity. For those who place their faith in Jesus, there is coming a day when this earth and these heavens will be destroyed and God will make a new heavens and a new earth and things will work differently. There won't be a sun or a moon. God will be physically present among us and he will provide the light. There will be no crying, no pain, no sin, no death, no guilt, no shame. All the bad things will be forgotten and it will be new. All things new. This is the great hope. This is what we long for and what we wait for. This is as far forward as anybody can see. And so the very last pages of the scriptures talk about from Isaiah's vision that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's what we call the eternal state. Now hopefully you kept your finger in Isaiah 65. If you did, please turn back there. We're still in Isaiah 65, but now we're on verse 20. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Okay. Now, the reason why I said sometimes when you read through Isaiah 60 to 66, it can be a little confusing. We just read verses 17 to 19 about the eternal state. We went and looked in Revelation to see more of what that's going to be like. And now we kept reading in Isaiah 65. And what I'm hoping happened for you is the same thing that happened for me when I read that, which is, wait a second, something doesn't seem quite right here. Like... There are people dying. Did you see that? Now, they're living a long time, but they're still dying. 
That doesn't sound like heaven, does it? There are people who are old men. That doesn't sound like heaven either. The older I get, the more I hold on to the hope that I'm not going to be an old man in heaven. (laughs) There are people having children. That doesn't sound like heaven either, does it? There's this weird thing about snakes eating dust. That doesn't sound like heaven either. And so you read this part of the prophecy and you say, wait a second, that doesn't sound like what John is saying is going to happen in Revelation 21 and 22. And that's because it's not. Isaiah paints this all as one picture, but we are talking about something else in these verses. In fact, you will often find in Old Testament prophetic literature passages that refer to something that is better than what we have now, but not as great as the eternal state is described for us. Let me give you just one more example. This is from the book of Joel, chapter 3. Then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip with new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste because of violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. Again, that's better than today because God is physically dwelling on the earth, but this can't really describe the eternal state because, well, we still have Egypt and we still have Edom and they're desolate wastes. What in the world is going on? Well, turn back to the book of Revelation. And this time, back up two chapters, back to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open... And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. This is describing the second coming of Jesus. This is describing Christ's return to the earth, not coming as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, but coming as the Lord of all heaven and earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Interestingly, you'll have to look this up on your own. This coming, him treading the winepress of the fury of God's wrath, is predicted in Isaiah 63, verses 1 to 7. But what Isaiah's done is just blended everything together. John is helping us see what's being described here is not yet the eternal state. We're not in Revelation 21 and 22 yet. We're in Revelation 19. This is the second coming of Christ. What follows verse 16, where I left off, is a great battle, what we know of as the Battle of Armageddon. And now pick it up with me in chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven after the battle, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead, those who didn't believe in Jesus, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. John is describing for us what we call the millennial kingdom. It's the space between those two cones. The far cone is the eternal state. That's still to come, Revelation 21 and 22. That nearer cone is the return of Christ. That's Revelation 19. And in between those two, which you can't tell from Isaiah, but is made clear in Revelation, is that there is a thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth. Not a new heavens and a new earth, this earth. Same earth that's got a Lake Michigan, a Grand River, a Grand Rapids, an East Beltline. This earth in this place, Jesus is going to return to this place and rule and reign over all things. That's what those more confusing verses in Isaiah 65, 20 to 25, that's what Joel 3 and other passages are talking about. It's not yet the eternal state. It is the millennial kingdom in which God is physically present on this earth, reigning in Jerusalem, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. But we have not yet gotten to the point where this earth and these heavens are destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth are created. This millennial kingdom is Revelation 20, a thousand years, and notice, did you hear in Revelation, there are people who are resurrected to reign with Christ. 
That refers to you and to me, all who are living now who die with faith in Jesus before Jesus returns, before that first traffic cone. What will happen is when Jesus returns, he raises all to life who have believed in him, and you and I reign with him on this earth for a thousand years. It's still a big planet. It still needs to be run. There is Egypt, there is Edom, there is Jerusalem, and Revelation tells us that you and I who have placed our faith in him will reign as priests of God and of his Christ for a thousand years. Then comes the final judgment of Satan, the judgment of the dead. Then comes the eternal state. Let's put this picture back up here then one more time. So the first cone, Isaiah again sees it all at one as one. John helps us to see it from the side. The first cone is the second coming of Christ. That's what we're waiting for. When he comes, all who are dead in Christ will be raised to new life and for a thousand years reign and rule with Jesus on this earth, the one that you're very familiar with, this one. At the end will come the eternal state in which God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And for eternity, there will be no sun or moon. God himself will be light. There will be no crying or pain or death. The old order of things has passed away. Now, why is it important that you understand this framework? Again, there are Christians who view this differently. Everybody views the eternal state the same. But the millennial kingdom part, there are good Christians who view it differently. However, this is the way our church views it. This is what I think, and this is what I think makes the most sense of the passages that we have just worked ourselves through. Why is it important for you and I to understand this? And why would Isaiah end his prophecy with these six chapters talking about the distant, distant future? Three reasons. Number one, this millennial kingdom and ultimately eternal state prove and vindicate God's faithfulness. God's made a lot of promises. He made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. He made promises to David. Lots of promises in the Old Testament. You just heard some in Isaiah about people who die at 100 being thought to have died extra young, being accursed. You heard it, it sounds like people's lives are going to be like the length of a tree, not forever and ever. Those are promises that God's made. Jesus made promises that the meek will inherit the earth. Not a new heavens and a new earth, but this earth. He's made promises about prisoners being set free, about the year of Jubilees, promised that there will be 12 apostles reigning on 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. And the point is, is I don't know about you, but sometimes I read promises in the Bible and I think, well, yeah, that's kind of come true. Like, I see that the meek are sort of blessed in the church, but on the other hand, they haven't inherited the earth. I see promises that God made to David. I see promises about a king ruling in in place and all of these things in Isaiah. And I think, well, I see some of that in the church. I see promises in Isaiah that the governments of the world will be on Jesus' shoulder. And I think, well, some governments have acknowledged him as Lord. And in the church, he's Lord. But part of me is like, when's the rest of it coming? Like, when's it actually going to be as good as it says it's going to be? 
Sometimes you read this and you think, that's awesome. And then you look around and go, eh, not bad. <laughs> if this life is all there is, I don't think that God has been fully faithful. I think there are promises left to fulfill. And the reason why I want you to understand this is not that Jesus is just going to show up, destroy everything, and start over. There is a thousand years where Jesus himself will rule and the governments will be on his shoulders. And the meek will inherit this earth, the one with that lake out there that we like to go to with the river that runs through this city. This earth. And the meek will inherit this earth. And those who suffered in this life will reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years in this place. And when you come to understand that, you realize God is faithful. And if you judge all his promises on what he's fulfilled so far, he only looks partially faithful. But there is a day coming when that kingdom will be here. Number two, why is this important? Because it gives us something to hope in. I don't know about you, but the eternal state is difficult to wrap my mind around. I have a hard time imagining what does forever and ever and ever feel like? What would it be like to have no sun and no moon? What will it be like not to remember anything bad? I have a hard time grasping that, and in reality, we'll, we'll talk in a couple of weeks about what we do know about the eternal state, but we don't actually know all that much. But the good news is we do know a lot about the millennial kingdom. And this fills me with hope. And the more I hear what's going on in Washington, D.C., and in Lansing, and in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and in Beijing, and in Moscow, and all over the world, the more I long for a day in which Jesus himself will come to this earth and reign and rule. I can't wait to see what he says about how to handle technology. Maybe he'll destroy all smartphones. I would love that. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus does with all this infrastructure? I think we're gonna have a concrete removal program. Jesus is going to institute, we're getting rid of all concrete. I don't know, but I long to see what this earth looks like with the creator of the earth running it. I long to see the things that he does. That instead of communism or socialism or capitalism, to see Jesus reigning and ruling with wisdom. Can you imagine someone at the highest seat of power reigning with love and grace and wisdom. I long to work for him. I long to be a part of that kingdom. So the second reason I think it's important to understand this is I can wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus will come to this earth, that he'll be in that city of Jerusalem, that he'll be reigning over all things, that Grand Rapids may still be here, and that there will be things that I recognize and, 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 and understand, but Jesus is now running all things. And before all this gets destroyed, I would love to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords Amen. reigning and ruling in this place. And that's the hope. That's what we're longing for. That's what's coming. And so if, like me, you have a hard time perhaps thinking about, well, what would eternity be like? I do think there is a thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth that's a little easier to wrap your mind around. And that you can set your mind and hope on. 
Third reason why I think this is important. Remember, you and I who are believers in Jesus are reigning and ruling with him for a thousand years. We're going to look at this more next week. But what that means is it causes me to ask this question. Perhaps what we do in this life is not actually all there is, but simply the preparation and the training for the real job that's coming. What I mean is this. Some of you in here have special needs children. There may have been times in which your heart of hearts you thought, this is a hard road. And you may look around at others who when it's time to clothe their children or bathe their children or feed their children think they don't have to spend nearly as much time or energy or effort or whatever it may be. And you may think to yourself, again, just in the quiet of your heart, I'm wasting this. I got one shot at this and I'm wasting it. But what if this life is not all there is? What if this is just preparation for your real ministry? What if when Jesus returns, he says, yeah, it's okay, you didn't set the world on fire from the world's point of view, but I watched and you were faithful in what you did. And what if Jesus says to you, which I think we're gonna look at next week, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now take charge of many things. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. What if those of you who are stay-at-home moms who the world is telling you you're wasting your life, you got to get out there, earn money, accomplish something, travel the world, write books, do all this stuff, and you think, but God's called me here to do this. What if you're not actually all there is is right now? What if you're simply being trained and prepared for what your real ministry will be when Christ returns and you reign and rule with him and the people he picks to be the mayor of Grand Rapids or the president of the United States or whatever aren't the people who invented all sorts of stuff, but they were the stay-at-home moms who were faithful to do what God asked them to do. What if he comes with a different set of criteria than this world uses and says, I see you. I see what you've been doing. I've been watching you these 70 or 80 years you've been at work on the earth. Come and enjoy the kingdom. What if God looks at you? You're caring for an aging parent. And you think, I had so much more I wanted to accomplish with this time. What if the goal is not to accomplish something with the time? What if you're being trained for what your real service is going to be? What if the hardships we go through, what if the sufferings and the struggles, what if even our own failures and the forgiveness we experience and our addictions to sin and the cycles are all teaching us what we need to know about God's grace and God's love so that when Christ returns, he says, You're worthy of my kingdom. The reason why I think it's important to understand this is God says, I'm coming again. It's powerful to me that the 12 apostles, there are 11 of them at that point, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, their very last question of him is, is it time for the kingdom? Like, okay, we missed it. We we understand now that the first coming and the second coming have to be separate. We understand now about the crucifixion and the resurrection. We get now that you're having to deal with sin. We understand that the Holy Spirit's gonna come. But they still wanna know, 
There's a lot of promises in the Old Testament that we can't wait to see get fulfilled. Jesus, at this time, are you now going to establish your kingdom? They have the same hope we have, which is we want Jesus reigning and ruling on this earth. And Jesus doesn't say to them, no, 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 no kingdom. He doesn't say to them, well, it'll all be spiritually filled. The great news is, is many of the promises of God about his kingdom are already being fulfilled now. He says to them, look, get busy with the work that God's given you to do. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I'm going to come back the same way you saw me leave. And I'm going to set up the kingdom. I confer on you a kingdom. You will indeed sit on these 12 thrones and rule over these 12 tribes. And the apostles, just like you and I, They went through their daily lives. They were full of the Spirit. They saw God do amazing, miraculous, wonderful things. They saw people, thousands of people come to faith. But still, they're longing for the kingdom. And we do get to see God's kingdom come in the here and now, and it's a beautiful, amazing thing. But my heart still longs for the kingdom. My heart still longs for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to come and rule and reign in this world. And I want to think about my sufferings and my struggles in this life in view of that. But you know what? When I get to the end of my life, my goal is not to look back and say, did I accomplish everything I wanted to accomplish? Was I a success? I want to look at it and say, you know what? This was just job preparation. (laughs) This was preparation for what's coming. Was I faithful? God's given us this vision of the future again. Different people, uh, different Christians, good Christians, differ on how we see all of this playing itself out. I'm telling you what our church believes, what I think makes the best sense of the scriptures. And I'm encouraging you to set your mind not on things of the earth, but on things of heaven, things that are coming. God has a future. And the great news for Christians is that the promise is it gets better and then better again. This is our great hope. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but as Hebrews says, we do not yet see everything subject to your feet. We do not yet get to reign and rule over all things. We do not yet to join with you judging angels. We do not yet get to see all the promises fulfilled, but we believe. We believe that you are Lord. We believe that you are God. I pray that you would fulfill them here and now in this church and in our lives. But Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, Lord, when we see the venom, uh, the, the sickness, the poison spewing out of the governments of this world, our own government included, Lord, we long for the day in which you come and show us how to do this. We long for the day in which you make things right. Jesus, in which you show us how to take care of this earth. Lord, how to care for one another. Lord, how to lead in righteousness and in justice and in grace and in mercy. We long for that day. So, Father, help us to strike the right balance between seeing the kingdom come now and longing for its final fulfillment to come in the time of Jesus. Jesus, we praise you. We praise you that while it does feel like the world around us is falling apart, uh, that ultimately we believe that you are coming again to renew all things and to lead us safely into an eternal state that we can't even begin to fathom or imagine. May you receive all the glory and honor and praise. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.